This is Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness. Life-Changing Wellness. Here's Dr. Ward Bond. I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to Life-Changing Wellness episode number 112. This episode of Life-Changing Wellness is brought to you by Wakanaga, the makers of Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract, quality supplements that are backed by science and for heart health, immune support, and more. I have personally taken their fine products for more than 25 years, and you should too. So check them out at kyolic.com or find them at your favorite natural health store. Now before we begin, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today. Rate and review the show for me, and I want to thank you ahead of time for making our show great. And I encourage you to look up my show page on radiomd.com slash drbond. Well, my guest this week is Dr. Alejandro Badia. He is a hand and upper extremity orthopedic surgeon treating orthopedic problems with the hand and wrist, arm and forearm, elbow and shoulder at the Badia Hand to Shoulder Center in Miami, Florida. He is the author of the soon-to-be-published book, Healthcare in the Trenches, and Dr. Badia studied physiology at Cornell University and obtained his medical degree at NYU. He runs an active international hand fellowship, serves on the editorial board of two hand journals, and organizes a yearly Miami meeting of surgeons and therapists that is devoted to upper limb orthoscopy and orthoplasty. He is a founding member of the American Hand Institute, and Dr. Badia founded OrthoNow, a network of orthopedic urgent care centers in South Florida, which is staffed by surgeons from the International Orthopedic Group. Dr. Badia lectures around the world on upper extremity orthopedic surgery, and today we discuss the common hand and upper limb problems, as well as innovations in treatments. So let's welcome Dr. Badia to the show. Welcome, doctor. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bond. Appreciate it. Well, how did you decide to actually specialize in hand and upper limb orthopedic surgery? <laughs> well, there are uh, certainly several reasons why one chooses a career, but I think the the first inkling I had of this, I was eight years old, and I was very close with my grandparents from Spain. Uh, we were immigrants to U.S. in New Jersey, and she suffered from really crippling rheumatoid arthritis had severe hand deformity, and we went to see a hand surgeon in New York, at that time one of only two uh, hand surgeons that were in New York at that point in the early 70s. And uh, I just remember being fascinated by it. The interesting thing is, is that person, uh, Dr. Uh, Carroll, uh, who's since passed, um, his mentor actually trained me in Pittsburgh. So wow. he was kind of my grandfather of hand surgery. Wow, that's really cool. That's really cool. What did you, you know, with your with your grandmother having arthritis, and I've seen those hand deformities, and, yeah. and they're really awful. Can can you explain to all of my listeners the difference between just simply osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis? Sure. Um, I was actually speaking to somebody earlier today about osteoarthritis, which is by the way, no, we, you know, as you probably know, we don't have a cure for this. We don't even know what exactly causes it. Uh, osteoarthritis is just basically wear and tear of the joint that happens naturally. It's usually not due to anything. And, um, and there's an inflammatory cascade where the cartilage just breaks down. In rheumatoid arthritis, it's actually an autoimmune disease. So essentially, the body's immune system, uh, kind of like we're seeing with COVID, right, the bad effects of that. Uh, are that the uh, joint and the surrounding soft tissues 
uh, start to get affected and the cartilage is worn down in a different way um, and the deformities tend to be much worse and it's a systemic disease, whereas osteoarthritis really affects just the joints um, and focally. Rheumatoid arthritis affects multiple joints. It can affect the, uh, the, uh, the heart, the pericardium, uh, other organ systems as well. Wow. Now, that's the first time I've heard that where uh, rheumatoid arthritis can actually affect the heart. Yep. So it, this is, this, so that really makes this a very serious disease. And I know the treatments for both are very different. Yes. So for all of my listeners right now, what are some of the most common hand and upper limb problems which patients come to you for? Sure. Uh, it's funny. It's a common question. I, I joke about this in a uh, podcast about the book that's on my, uh, a video podcast that's on my, my book <laughs> where, I'll, where the, the interviewer said to me, well, you know, what, what do you do as a hand surgeon? And I say, well, in, in South Beach, right, uh, which is uh, near here in Miami, <laughs> patients will, at, or not patients, but people at a cocktail party will say, well, what do you do? You, you correct the, uh, the wrinkles in the hand, you make it look better. <laughs> and I say, no, no. I, oh my yeah, God. No, I, I go, it's not a cosmetic. No, I go, <laughs> you might want to call me when you put your hand into a circular saw working in your garage or at work. <laughs> um, Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. It's like, I mean, most people think, well, you're just going to shoot Botox in the top of their hand right, and make it look exactly. uh, young you know, and pretty you again. Know, huh? that's, so, you know, look, there's a, there's a big <laughs> role for aesthetics, right? But you know what, what hand surgeons do oh, yeah. is uh, treat uh, basically any disorder uh, related to the hand and upper extremity. So I already mentioned with the chainsaw or the circular saw, it can be a chainsaw or um, a trauma. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, I would say about a third of what I do is trauma related. So it can be a fingertip amputation and, you know, mm. catching it in a car door or, or it can be a fall on the wrist with a, a, a distal radius fracture, a colleague's fracture, or it can be a, an acute uh, dislocation of the shoulder. Uh, but then there are uh, common things like carpal tunnel syndrome. You've probably heard of that. And people think it's this type of disease. Oh, sure. Um, which is another myth. So that's a nerve compression. So, so we treat nerve compressions. We treat inflammatory problems uh, of the hand. We treat uh, congenital uh, birth deformities. Uh, are, so it, it's a very, very broad field, uh, ironically. It, it is. And I mean, as I hear you uh, speaking about it, I'm thinking, wow, it, it's much... Like you said, it's much broader than, you know, the common layperson would even imagine. You yes. know, my thought, uh, my thought was besides, you know, dealing with trauma and cut off fingers or hands or whatever, that, you know, my thought is, okay, it's, uh, you know, you're just dealing with carpal tunnel syndrome all the time. But I love the fact that you brought that up because you said it's a nerve compression. Now, yes. Is the surgery for carpal tunnel, you know, here we are, here we have that uh, white band of cartilage. I mean, was that actually made to actually be cut to reduce the, the pressure on that nerve? Or is there other type of therapies for carpal tunnel now? Uh, no, that that's correct. It, the, really, the easiest treatment is a procedure. But when people have it very mild or early presentation are things we do. Um, for example, I'm a big believer in turmeric. Uh, it's a natural antioxidant and, and anti-inflammatory. 
So uh, that along with a vitamin B B complex, usually B six. Uh, you are my you are my friend, doctor, because <laughs> when when I was told that I was, I was going to interview and I'm thinking, okay, now how's this going to work? Because not all medical doctors believe the way I do, and I'm a big believer in the turmeric. And then you bring up the B complex because all of the studies that I've read for carpal tunnel, vitamin B six was always highly indicated. Exactly. For that condition, as well as, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I also have seen where the massage, you know, and, and in the early stages, not advanced stages, but in early stages to where you would actually massage the forearm muscle down to the wrist into the palm of the hand to help uh, relieve some of that pressure. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Attending uh, gliding exercises, you know, there's yes. a, uh, a whole field of hand, well, hand therapy, CHTs are certified hand therapists, and pretty much every hand surgeon will work closely. I have one across the hall that sees my patients and other patients, and they are occupational therapists that dedicate themselves only to the upper limb. They will not do back therapy or knees, or um, and, and in the early stages, uh, you're correct, is that you can, if you, that's why people shouldn't put this off. They should at least get an evaluation, which includes a nerve conduction study, not an EMG where you have to do the, the needles, which can be uncomfortable. You just put a little electrode and you measure the conduction of the median nerve in the wrist. And that tells you how badly compressed it is. When it's badly compressed, honestly, you don't want to do those other things because you are slowly uh, encouraging a nerve damage because the nerve um, needs to be decompressed, which we do endoscopically. I mean, some surgeons still do it open, which works well, but endoscopically, um, I mean, my international patient coordinator, literally uh, an hour after her procedure, walked down the hall and, and, and got back on her computer and was responding to some of my patients. And I, I literally had to send her home. I said, Susan, come on. I said, go, you know, go <laughs> and just elevate your hand and rest. But, you know, and, and, and she, she didn't even have to miss work. Wow, that that is amazing because, you know, as people get older or I should say uh, not older, people who are doing repetition type work are those at a much higher risk for carpal tunnel. So what are some of the things that occupations that you have seen that are that increase the risk for carpal tunnel? Well, there's been so much on this. And in, in my book, I discuss this a lot. Um, oh, and good. I research it even more because the hysteria, honestly, about carpal tunnel syndrome and, and the so, you know, so-called repetitive uh, RSI, repetitive stress injury, uh, that a lot of that came from Australia. And it, 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 it's, it's too complex to talk about here. But basically, these are things that aggravate conditions. And I think the public needs to understand one thing is causality and one thing is just aggravation or exacerbation. Um, the only study in the literature that supports a really direct relationship is actually meat packers. Um, if we think about Upton Sinclair in the jungle, right? That, that's a really rough job, uh, meat packing. But the truth is, um, there is no higher incidence of carpal tunnel syndrome in people who do a lot of typing. And I, I tell my patients, if that was the case, my office would be full of 16-year-old uh, girls who are on social media all day, right? Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, so it, it, it is actually a hormonal metabolic problem. You see it in perimenopausal women. Uh, yeah. You see it in hypothyroid patients, diabetics. Um, and there are some other groups, but generally that's, that's who it is. It's not 25-year-old people who work on a computer uh, for the most part. And... Uh, but, but working on a computer, doing a number of other tasks will 
uh, bring on symptoms so people relate it. So do you see more with, with carpal tunnel? And I, and I want to move on to other things, because but, but with carpal tunnel, do you see more women patients for that condition than men? Absolutely. Depending on the literature, it can be anywhere from 1.5 to 3 to 1. So definitely, I would say overall in my practice, it's about two to one women to men. And it's because it has a lot to do with estrogens. You know, estrogen is very similar to aldosterone, the, uh, the hormone above your kidney and the adrenal glands. And they, they cause to retain, retain liquid, you know, fluid. And, you know, you can ask any woman, not only perimenopausal, but uh, during the monthly cycle, uh, a woman will tell you, yeah, you know, my ankles get a little bloated or I have more low back pain because of fluid retention. And that fluid retention at the tendon level in the wrist, in the carpal canal or the carpal tunnel, causes compression of the median nerve secondarily. It is not a nerve problem. It's a packaging problem. Wow. I'm, in, I'm impressed, but I'm also <laughs> in awe because those are things that I've never heard when it came to carpal tunnel. You know, we all just think it was just re repetitive movement oh, and yeah. no, things got it's, tight. It's an incredible and... myth. But, um, Ooh, that but, you is know, Bond, what happens is there's only, there's only about 2,500 members of the uh, ASSH, American Society for Surgery to Hand. So we're a small group and we, we don't have the reach, uh, you know, for example, like a show like yours or the New York Times or, or, or what have you. Uh, we don't have the reach to the public. So we tell our patients this and I, I enjoy patient education. So I, I, I have a number of articles in popular media but never have gotten the reach to actually clarify uh, and dispel this myth. It's an, it's, it's an amazing myth that continues to be out there. Yeah, and, and I love the fact that, uh, you know, we have avenues like this, like this show to, to actually get the truth out there, and that's what I Absolutely. love. Now, now, also, too, uh, what have been some of the most exciting advances in hand and upper limb treatments in the recent years and while you explain that i want to have you touch base on what tommy john surgery actually is since we're trying to get baseball to restart so if you want to kind of answer that loaded question <laughs> well, so uh, i actually met so i met tommy john uh, with one of my mentors i was at um in new york city and he visited one of the hand surgeons there that, that i write about in my book one of my one of my early mentors in the field and he uh, stopped by um, and I met him. He was, you know, well retired at that point. But um, all, all that is is reconstructing, meaning re basically replacing the ligament that some pitchers will blow out with the incredible torque, about 70 newtons of rotational torque on the elbow to throw a fastball at, you know, at 90 plus miles an hour. And that ligament in some people just has attritional rupture. It just kind of eventually gives. And what we do is we take a tendon in the forearm. Uh, usually in a form, some people don't have this tendon. It's like a spare tendon called the palmaris longus. We take that tendon we, we, and we basically, in the, on the inner aspect of the elbow, we create a new ligament. And the reason Tommy John was so big, and I, I, you know, I talk about this in my book too. It's kind of, I, I'm realizing I covered a lot of things. I talk about this because I'm frustrated that it should be called the uh, Frank Job surgery because Frank Job was a, a retired is a retired sports medicine uh, orthopedic surgeon who actually developed a technique with some colleagues and yet the name is with a famous pitcher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tommy John was one of the first people to come back to pitch professionally after that surgery. 
and um, and that continues to happen. Um, so it, it is an well, amazing surgery. Well, that that's funny because I, for some weird reason, I always thought that the Tommy John situation was a rotator cuff problem, but it's not. Oh, it's no, actually no. at the elbow. Now, it's at the elbow. It's on the inner so, elbow, but, yeah. So it, would you say that the Tommy John situation where you're snapping a ligament is yeah. equal to an ACL injury of a basketball player? Uh I mean, well, it's yes just no. basically the, the, main, the, is, the main difference is it generally uh, the what we call the UCL, not the ACL, the ulnar collateral ACL. ligament of the elbow tends to um, basically uh, stretch out over time. The patient, oh. the, the, the athlete develops pain on the inner aspect of the elbow, like where your funny bone is. It's right near your ulnar nerve, which is your funny bone, which which people bang. Uh, it's right in that area, and. Um, and the symptoms are that, well, in, in throwing athletes is that they, they begin having not only pain, but their velocity of their pitches goes down. Um, and it's, an over, it, it's often an overuse, whereas an ACL, uh, more common in football players, actually, um, is, is torn when, you, you know, when a lineman, you know, linebacker hits you on the outside of your knee and, and snaps the ligament. And then ah. it has to be reconstructed. You can't repair it. You can't right. repair it. Right, yeah. exactly. It's like basically pulling the two ends together and tying a knot and hope it heals correctly so you can start playing again. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that I mean, I do that with the, the flexor tendons, which are usually cut in the hand. That's what a hand surgeon does is you cut a tendon. Uh, you know, I see these on like New Year's Eve. Somebody, you know, breaks a champagne glass, they cut their finger and all of a sudden they can't bend it. They, that's because they cut a flexor tendon. Uh, that's a routine, you know, fairly routine thing for a hand surgeon, and then I repair it. But these are all different types of either repairs or reconstructions that we do in, uh, you know, on daily basis. And I have to tell you, the turmeric does not help you there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It, it will. It will not. And yeah. but I want to ask you about your 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 new book, Healthcare yeah. in the Trenches. What is it about, and why did you decide to write it? Oh boy, it's. Um, you know, I wrote it out of frustration, honestly. Um, uh, the book came out, by the way, three weeks ago, but yesterday was the official launch on Amazon. Basically what it is, is it, um, it, it's basically a book that gives a voice to the only people you don't hear about when we discuss healthcare reform and the U.S. healthcare crisis. You know, you watch CNN and, you, you know, you see Sanjay Gupta, something very bright guy, but you know, Sanjay's really not doing neurosurgery anymore. <laughs> um, no, well, the, no, neither does Ben Carson. So, yeah. right, right, or, or you know, or, or, or doctors, you know, uh, Oz and people like that. I mean, who, who, and God bless them. They are they're bringing healthcare to the public, but but it's not. You know, we we hear politicians and and uh, health uh, um, insurance company administrators all the time getting interviewed about how to save costs with healthcare. Well. The truth is, they're not the ones actually delivering the care. You need to talk to the person delivering it, which is the doctor, the therapist, the nurse, and the patients, the people receiving the care. Those two people have been left out in the discussion on the U.S. healthcare system, which is truly in crisis. And uh, the book's written from my perspective, but also about, about an additional 20 contributors, where um, I wrote it because... The, the system is obstructing the care. It, it, it's, the, the, I talk about the concept of authorization. I, I say authorization is a four-letter word. It's an absurd concept um, that an insurance adjuster has to approve things that 
you know, what do they know about the Tommy John surgery? I'm the one who's going to decide who's the indication, how to do it. And, and the patient and their family are going to decide. Um, and the insurance company is supposed to simply, you know, pay for it because they're, they're collecting our premiums every day. Right. Right. Well, that's yeah, because somewhere, you... somewhere we lost sight of that. And the, the idea of the book is to, uh, basically bring these issues to light and create a dialogue in this country about getting healthcare costs and delivery under control. Yeah, because to me, you know, the whole point of having a doctor or going to the doctor is getting the proper care, but not based on money. It's based on proper care so that person who needs that care can recover and uh, continue to live life as, as full as they can. And, you know, I think that was probably the most frustrating part of the government stepping in and saying, hey, yeah. we created this thing called Obamacare, and, and this is what it's going to be, and we don't care if you like it or not. And I'm like, <laughs> you, can't, you can't be successful with the attitude yeah. if you like it or not. Because, you know, as you know, you have patients that – they will only come to you. They will not go to anybody else. And they don't want they don't want anybody telling them that they can't come to you because you've built a relationship with them. They like you. They've had successful uh, treatment from you and they want to continue to go to you for those types of problems. But then to have somebody like the government step in and say, no, you can't see Dr. Badia. You're going to have to go over here and see Dr. Smith because, you know, he's on this. He's on our plan. And I think that's a total load of crap. It, it, it is. And, and the amazing thing, and by the way, um, the, the intrusion of government in health care is, I think, chapter eight in my book. And it's exactly Oh, I like that. It, yeah, in fact, it started in 19, it started in 1965 with the, the passage of the Medicare Act, which is a very noble uh, calling. But um, uh, there's a Dr. G. Giovanni, retired vascular surgeon, who, you know, he was he was practicing uh, well before I and uh, talks about this in the first person. So it's very interesting. But I think touching on what you said, the, the, the problem that if if uh, the other players got out of the way, the irony is that we would save the insurance company's money. We, we actually could bring down costs by delivering not only better health care, but more efficient. In other words, why should you have to see three different people, each of whom are sending a bill to the insurance company or to Medicare, before they get to somebody like me as a hand surgeon? That's why I wrote the book. On average, every Monday is a nightmare for me. That's when I see my elective patients, and I see you know, 40, 50, 60 patients in a day, and almost all of them, the new patients, have been somewhere before. And that prior place really didn't help them, which is why I founded OrthoNow, because OrthoNow is a walk-in orthopedic clinic, and then you get directed to somebody like me if it's needed. Wow. See, I was going to ask you about the OrthoNow. Not only do I love the name, because I think it's <laughs> it's uh, fantastic branding, because I, I like marketing side of things, yeah, but, sure. uh, you know, so, th so that was the reason you created OrthoNow, so people could, in a way, bypass the middleman per se, and get exactly directly right. to the person they need to see, which completely makes sense to me. I'm in agreement with you. 
Well, that's that's the way it's going with healthcare in general. Um, I mean, I wrote an article that was unheralded in my state medical journal, but now uh, Markets Insider, right, which is a financial newspaper, uh, republished it a few months ago, and it I basically talk about the concept of um, specialty uh, care. Uh, walk-in centers where, you know what, uh, a, a young lady has an issue and she doesn't have time, um, she can't get in to see her uh, gynecologist. Well, she can go to a woman's walk-in center and get, to, now doesn't, that doesn't mean you don't need our cherished primary care doctors or our, our obstetrician or our uh, family practice doctor, but it means that you can, you can get into the system seeing the right type of person with expertise from the get-go. And that will save money. Well, yeah. And the other thing that I that just popped into my head, too, it actually speeds the system up. Oh, absolutely. Because because then it's going to meet the immediate need of the patient because, my gosh, I'm so and, and like you, so sick and tired of hearing people. Well, I'm waiting on approval uh, from my insurance company. I'm waiting approval from this this one hospital. Absurd? I'm waiting for approval from another yeah. doctor so I can get a referral <laughs> to another doctor that I need to see. (laughs) And I'm just like, this system is completely whacked out. It makes no sense whatsoever. Any of your readers um, and listeners and followers agree with what you just said, that's exactly what the book is about, Dr. Bond. That's exactly what it's about. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something right now. You need to go to Amazon you need to buy, download uh, Dr. Badia's book, Healthcare from the Trenches. And this is going to tell you exactly what you need to know. But not only that, for all of you listening, dealing with hand, wrist, elbow, shoulder problems. And if you're in, you live in South Florida, or I don't care if you live as far north as Pensacola or Tallahassee, or you need to fly in, I would absolutely check out Dr. Alejandro Badia and his practice because this guy's got it going on. He believes like we do. He understands the the natural side of things, and he's going to give you the best care. If you don't need surgery, he's going to tell you you don't need surgery. But if you do, hey, he's the expert here. So, doctor, I'm I'm in awe. I'm impressed, and uh, and I just absolutely uh, love the information that you have brought all of us here today. So, one quick question: What do you see coming in healthcare in the next couple of years? Wow, that that depends a lot on November, of course. Um, Oh, yes, it does. Yes, um, and we'll see when they start actually talking about it because they're not. That's why we I I I rushed to um, to release the book. Uh, There's another book by a colleague, actually a a fellow Cuban American surgeon who was also an attorney, a state representative, and a flight surgeon. He was in the military. Julio Gonzalez wrote a book called "The Case for Free Market Healthcare." The way it's starting to go is that people are realizing we should probably have insurance for more catastrophic. God forbid you get diagnosed with a cancer or you need, you know, some major surgeon. I'm, I'm not talking about Tommy John or carpal tunnel release. I'm talking, you know, major neurosurgery or, you, you know, you get hit by a bus. OK, I mean, yeah, or, or you have to have a quadruple bypass out of the clear yeah. blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, yeah. I completely that, agree with that. 
And then the other routine uh, preventive care, your family practice care, your, your, even your specialist like myself, or you're going for consultation, maybe you need a, something minor done. All of that, I think, we're going to start seeing going into the free market because that drives down the price. What my book makes the argument, and certainly Dr. Gonzalez does, uh, his books on Amazon as well, um, the, and there are other books that argue for this, um, including The Price We Pay by Dr. Marty Macquery from Johns Hopkins. We, we, we talk about the fact that, um, that the prices have become uh, conflated and all because, the, uh, because there's no transparency. And the one, you know, one thing I do see the current administration is pushing for price transparency amongst uh, large healthcare systems and hospitals where nobody knows what they're paying for something beforehand. Uh, that's going to yeah. change. Um, my, in my practice, if you go to drbadia.com, uh, about a third of my practice is international. Many of those patients, if they don't have international insurance, uh, they put it on their you know, uh, visa or Amex, and they know beforehand what something is going to cost them. And I think healthcare wow. is going to move towards that. Yeah, I agree with that. It needs to, to do that because, you know, nothing worse than getting the bill later. And you're like, exactly. oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to mortgage off my kids and my cat. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so it, it gets very, very serious. And, you know, so but again, thank you, Dr. Badia, for coming on, sharing your knowledge with us. For those of you who live in South Florida, please look up Dr. Badia for your hand, wrist, elbow, shoulder type situations. And also too, if you need to go straight in, there's always ortho now. So check that out. And again, download Dr. Badia's book, Healthcare from the Trenches on amazon.com. And I want to thank everyone. Remember, catch every episode of Life-Changing Wellness. Just hit subscribe on iTunes or on my show page at radiomd.com slash drbond. And if I can ask you a favor, please take 30 seconds. Rate the show at five stars today. Dr. Badi is an excellent guest. So I want to thank you for doing that for me as we want to bring you the best show possible. And now you can download our show across Spotify and other streaming services. So also, learn more about me at drwardbond.com. And I want to thank you for listening to Life Changing Wellness. And remember, something spectacular happens when you treat your body right. Have a blessed day, everyone.